Hey, welcome to a quick and very impromptu episode of No Shit There I Was. I'm Joey Snowden. So if you paid any attention at all to the international news in the last five days or so, you've seen that Afghanistan has fallen. Uh, we've pulled out a majority, if not all, of our troops, um, a lot of our contractors, the embassy. Things have, have degraded very quickly. The Taliban have, have taken over a majority of the country, um, including the capital, Kabul, and uh, it's just a mess. And that has a lot of impacts, not least of all on veterans like myself who deployed to Afghanistan and leaves us with a lot of introspect, thinking about what we did with our time there. Was it worth it? And while that's all the stuff that we need to think about, it's not past the time for action. We still have people there that we know, that we worked with, who need our help. It is a time for action, and there's a way to take action. That's why today I'm talking to Doug Livermore, who is a friend of mine, who is trying to help the folks that are there who need to get out, and what I'm really hoping to do is to give a platform to spread the message of what they're trying to do and to hopefully provide an avenue for anybody who wants to offer their help, uh, whether that's financial or just spreading the message, that you can do so. So please take a listen, take action in any way you feel like you can help. Thanks. <laughs> Welcome to No Shit There I Was, a show committed to sharing the stories and experiences of those in and around the military for everyone to hear. So please, relax and enjoy. Hey, I just want to welcome Doug Livermore, formerly Special Forces uh, team leader. Now he's he's out and doing great things, uh, particularly one awesome thing that he's doing right now is putting a lot of time and effort uh, into an uh, organization on which he sits the board, No One Left Behind, an organization that started out as trying to you know, fix or, and improve, revamp the uh, special immigration visa program, uh, where we bring folks that um, have worked with the United States forces that uh, and, and get them visas to come over to the U.S. Um, and that's evolved and taken a little evolution, I think, from from the original uh, start, uh, from from what I hear. And I'm sure Doug's going to tell us more about. But currently, also working with uh, Department of the Navy too, and has an awesome job there, uh, doing great things. A continued lifetime of selfless service, right? I suppose. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, if you could, please give yourself an introduction. Other than if I miss anything, please correct me. No, greatly appreciate it. Glad to be here today. So yeah, Doug Livermore, uh, West Point class of 2004, did 10 years active duty, infantry to special forces, mm -hmm. uh, got out a few years back, uh, contracted for a number of years. Uh, I actually am uh, still in the Maryland Army National Guard as a SF lieutenant colonel. Um, so so continuing no Just... that. Yeah, I guess I'll throw that out there. Um, <laughs> no, but really, but, but really and, and as you mentioned, uh, I am a uh, government employee in the Department of the Navy, so going to have to very, you know, put out the disclaimer up front. Nothing that I'm saying today represents any of the positions or policies of the United States government or any of its departments and agencies. Um, but yeah, in my uh, volunteer role, uh, I'm on a number of boards for different uh, organizations, but what we're going to be talking about today is yeah, No One Left Behind, which is the uh, only national level NGO that's uh, a 501c3 that's been working for years on the special immigrant visa program and much more recently on the evacuation of our Afghan allies uh, now that the country's fallen. But we'll get into all that, I'm sure, here shortly. Right. I'm sure, you know, same as myself, everything kind of later last week, 
took a turn and, and uh, you know, I'm sure things started speeding up for you. Whereas to me, it was like, you know, you, you, you've got a lot of stuff happening uh, to me from a, you know, an outsider's perspective, someone who's not actively kind of involved with uh, everything that's going on. Uh, it was, you know, and someone who's a, uh, a veteran for me, it was just wild to watch and, and, and heartbreaking and um, also very personal. Uh, I've currently got a, a, a old interpreter of mine who's in Kabul, who's been going through this program for years. I've written a couple of different letters of recommendation for him. And um, so the, all of this is a pretty, you know, as a, the things that you're trying to improve, you know, what's happening now is, is very personal. Uh, but I wanted to kind of turn it around and, and let you talk about, you know, that was the mission. What's happening now? Yeah, so uh, real quick, I'll back up, uh, talk a little bit briefly about the history of No One Left Behind and yeah. uh, all the work that we've been doing historically. So yeah, to your point, uh, No One Left Behind was actually founded in 2013 by uh, Janice Shinwari. He himself was one of the first Afghan SIVs, special immigrant visas, who came through the process, came to the United States. Um, and one of the first things he did when he hit the ground was he recognized what a terrible bureaucratic mess the program was and started no one left behind to to do advocacy to fix the special immigrant visa program um so the organization has been working for years and years and years with uh with both parties in congress with mm -hmm. three presidential administrations to try to knock some of the bureaucracy and, and, and streamline the SIB process when congress first established the program in 2009 it even says right there in the law that uh, individual cases are supposed to be adjudicated within nine months. You know, so an Afghan or an Iraqi applying for the program gets told within nine months, yes or no. Right. Um, but what we were really finding that uh, on average applications were taking three years. But of course, there's all sorts of horror stories of five, 10 year processes where State Department kept going back and forth on applications and not giving a final answer to applicants. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, I would say only within the last year, we've seen some real progress on that. Uh, no one left behind working with, again, both parties, Republicans, Democrats, Senate, and, uh, and the House uh, have pushed through, have helped push through a number of bills that are now into law that have streamlined the process, removed a couple of redundant steps. Uh, really, you know, in the past, the State Department was always, in my opinion, was looking for a reason to say no to these applications. And in many of these cases, it was for these Afghans and Iraqis doing exactly what it was we were asking them to do. So, you know, a perfect example that always gets laid out is, you know, and, and I had this where I had an interpreter that you know, had friends or had connections through family members to either the Taliban or, or in Iraq to, to the various insurgent groups there. And we were leveraging those connections to do the things that we wanted to do to fight the insurgencies and Right. and to prosecute uh, our military operations. Well, then on the back end, when a lot of these folks would go and apply, you know, the, the State Department through their, their checks with the intelligence community would say, well, so-and-so you know, is talking to ex-Taliban member and yeah. we're gonna reject it because of that. So you know, there's untold stories like that. Yeah. Um, so you know, again, I, certainly no one left behind applauds the legislative changes that have gone through in only the last few months. We've been pushing for those for years. Um, and it will certainly benefit Afghan applicants. And we're also looking forward because you know, no matter how the war in Iraq ends, sorry about that. Here. <laughs> it's okay. You're, you're going to get the low angle. Um, you know, 
we're, we're, this is not a problem that's going to go away. Right. Um, so then the other side of what no one left behind and where really the vast majority of our donor dollars have gone up until the last few weeks or the last couple of months really has been uh, financial support for Afghan families when they get to the United States, Afghan and Iraqi families. Um, so we have a whole network of SIV ambassadors. They're spread all across the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, they work with the Afghan and Iraqi communities um, to, you know, the, the problem that we were finding is that Iraqi and Afghan families coming through the program would arrive at the United States and they would get about six months financial support for rent and, and whatnot. But then that, was, that would get cut off and, and we were seeing a lot of struggling families. And so most, as I said, most of our donor dollars historically have gone to providing um, financial assistance through uh, no cost or low cost or sorry, no interest or low interest loans. Uh, we've done a vehicle pro- program where we provide used vehicles for these families. And then really where we've had a ton of success is through our, uh, our, our job placement. So if you go to the website, www.noonelaugh.org, we've got partnerships with Amazon, Uber, Lyft, Starbucks, a whole bunch of other companies where we've had great success in helping the SIVs and their families find jobs. And one of the things that we take great pride in is amongst all the different refugee populations that come to the United States, uh, the SIV population is amongst, if not the quickest to get uh, financially sustainable on their own. Right. Um, Cause these are folks that multiple times over have shown themselves to be highly ambitious and go-getters that really want to like in their home countries of Iraq and Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they initially, most of them signed up because they wanted to make their own countries more prosperous and successful and inclusive like the United States. And we found that when they make it to the United States, they're, they're still imbued with that same spirit um, right. and, and has been translated to great success. So this is a long way of getting to your actual question, which is where <laughs> over the last couple months, um, no one left behind has been directly involved in evacuating uh, Afghans at a much greater extent than ever before. Um, now, to be clear, no one left behind since the Trump administration first started talking about withdrawal and a peace treaty with the Taliban, um, even going as far back as January of 2020, was calling on the administration uh, to speed up efforts to evacuate Afghan SIVs and their families, because no matter how the war in Afghanistan ended, whether through a uh, transitional government or a combined government with Taliban having some representation, we had already seen the Taliban hunting down and, and killing uh, Afghan SIVs and their families. Right. It's not an uncommon um, thing. If anybody who knows, no. yeah. Anybody who has yeah. like, the interpreters that they worked with, it's just, yeah. Ask any single one. And they no, have very, 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 very common. So, so going back to January, 2020, we were calling for an increase in evacuations. We continue at that point, we really started to see interest from bipartisan interest from Congress to actually make some concrete changes. So again, working with uh, the Senate and the, we were advocating for a lot of these changes that we've been already advocating for years, but actually had some, some teeth behind it in Congress. Um, and then you know, particularly in the last couple months when uh, the Biden administration reaffirmed its the, the Trump administration's commitment to withdraw, we just went all in on pushing as much money as we could to evacuating. Um, no one left behind uh, through some, a couple, or, well, all of our very generous donors, but a couple very large grants 
were directly buying airline tickets for Afghan SIV holders and their families to get them out. Unfortunately, you know, we, I am sorry to say that when Kabul fell very unexpectedly, I mean, we still had about 29 families, a couple hundred folks that we had already booked for tickets coming out on commercial airlines that then when Kabul fell and the airport closed, like they were stuck. Yeah. Um, so right now, what no one left, be- so what no one left behind has been doing since the fall of Kabul um, is we're pursuing all a whole variety of evacuation uh, options. Of course, ideally, we'd like to see the, the Biden administration follow through on even what the president was saying last night in his address to the country that you know we're going to have heaven and earth and do everything in our power to evacuate the Afghan SIVs, their families, and other vulnerable Afghan populations. I mean, we see that a U.S. government-led effort uh, and funded because that's what we've been saying for a while now was the was the uh, uh, intention of the United States government. Uh, additionally, no one left behind, and some other organizations that that we've been coordinating with uh, are also looking right now on chartering aircraft, private aircraft, uh, and loading them up with as many Afghans as we can to to help get them out of the country. We're in close cooperation and coordination with the Department of State and the Department of Defense, and those options are starting to come to fruition. Um, but again, nothing moves quickly in this space, particularly given all the uncertainty on the ground in Kabul. Right. And, uh, just from like who controls the airport, uh, whether or not commercial flights are coming in on any given day, because that appears to be a, a you know a switch being flipped on and off. Like today, we were told no commercial aircraft are coming in. To Kabul, it's all military aircraft. Um, and then the third option is a continuation of our commercial option, just buying tickets on commercial airlines, assuming that the airport reopens to commercial airfare and the folks that we've been working with are able to rebook flights and we can book new flights for the, the thousands of requests that we've been getting over the last couple of days. I mean, no one left behind. We're basically running on 24 seven operations. So, so my apologies, if I'm a, if I ramble a little bit, I'm a little run down. I've, you know, been answering hundreds of emails from Afghans and lots of Americans that are trying to uh, get their, their Afghan partners, you know, their old interpreters and their families out. So, right. um, so we're taking all the information We're we're trying to book as many tickets commercially. Uh, and like I said, really working with uh, the department of defense on, on military airlift, while also making pursuing options for chartered aircraft, just because that may become really the only way to do this in the, the short period of time that we have left. Because again, the, the president uh, last night said, you know, we're going to secure the airport as long as it takes to to um, get all of our Afghan allies, of course, all the American citizens and our partner nation yeah. citizens out. But I mean, it's an incredibly fluid situation on the ground. Right. And that's, imagine that's got to be the hard part about all this is trying to, you know, you're trying to set up multiple options, multiple avenues for that fluid situation, depending on what changes and, and, and who actually gets there to maybe, maybe secure that area to, to get flights down. But I mean, with what you're saying, um, you know, with, you know, folks that come over, you know, I've had an interview already on this podcast, you know, where I've interviewed an interpreter from Iraq, uh, Sam, great guy, yep. business business owner. You know, I've got I've got other interpreters uh, who've who've come over from Afghanistan. 
business owners. They own a trucking company and, and, he, and he employs uh, interpreters. Just a lot of ingenuity, a lot of folks that want to make a life and, and, and contribute. And you know, these are the kind of folks that we're helping to not only get their lives out of danger because they helped the U.S., right? And we made a promise to them, hey, you help us, we'll help you. And you know, we're trying to follow through on that. But you know, also folks that we're trying to help continue to live, live a life and, and, and build a life and, and contribute. These are people that'll come here and, and be a part of society. Uh, and I think that's a, that's an important point too. Do you find that uh, you're getting good cooperation and coordination? A lot of the options that y'all are seeking uh, are people being helpful as far as helping y'all or get those set up? Yeah, so response from the, the broader civilian community, you know, all the other organizations, the non the non governmental organizations in the space has been overwhelming. You know, we're we're all collaborating, cooperating very very closely. Um, we've had some amazing donors come forward. Uh, admittedly, you know, plenty of late nights. Um, I think we were taking donor calls at midnight, one, two a.m. Uh, just in the last couple of days. Lots of very, very generous folks coming out. Um, so we've got some some large donors that are putting up, you know, millions of dollars to to, to lease aircraft, which is greatly appreciated. We couldn't do what we were doing, or even consider what we're considering to do without them. Um, but also tons of grassroots effort. Um, you know, so as I, I'll, I'll plug again, www.noandleft.org. Mm -hmm. um, we've been taking. There's a donation page right up front, and we've been getting tens of thousands, if not, I'll have to go back and look, hundreds of thousands of donations in, in all small donations, you know, $50 or less um, over the last several days. And we're putting that directly into these efforts. Um, so that's been tremendous. Uh, folks have been reaching out directly to No One Left Behind through the, the, the email address, info at noandleft.org, volunteering their time, their houses, to, to house Afghans when they get over here, which has also been a tremendous outpouring of support that we're making use of. I mean, as I, uh, as you and I were chatting before we started recording, one of the biggest challenges we're facing right now as we set up our evacuation uh, options is just data management, taking in right. thousands and thousands of requests that come in via email and plugging them into a database that we could then use uh, to coordinate and contact folks when we start you know, when we do evacuate, when we execute our evacuation options. Um, so yeah, folks have been coming out to volunteer their time. We've been putting them to work on things like that. Um, you know, particularly, uh, as I mentioned before Kabul fell, we had several hundred Afghans that we evacuated and we've been linking them up with volunteers to provide temporary housing uh, when they get here to the States or coordinating directly, as I mentioned, we have a network of SIV ambassadors. They themselves are all Iraqi or, or Afghan SIV recipients themselves. And they coordinate with you know, local folks, local volunteers to provide again, housing, some financial assistance, whatever these families, uh, oh yeah, whatever these families uh, require when they get here. And then, you know, which is greatly appreciated because going back to something I had said initially, um, everyone, the, the great thing about Afghan and Iraqi uh, SIV recipients is they tend to, they come here, they make great use of the support that we provide, be it the financial, the housing, the, the cars we provide them, but then they very quickly get their feet under them. And as you were already saying, like most of these SIVs and their families that come to the States are productive members contributing to the fabric of American society very, very quickly. I mean, these, honestly, these, uh, 
form, you know, these interpreters, these SIVs, they represent kind of the best and brightest. Um, they've already shown themselves to be incredibly patriotic, both right. for their, their, their original country, but, you know, but they also embody many of the values that we think are traditionally ideally American. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, in fact, if, you know, if you go, uh, particularly, uh, you know, if you go to the website, you go to the advocacy or the press, we've got a number of stories of either SIVs themselves when they come to the United States, they, uh, as soon as they're citizens or as soon as they're able, they enlist in the military, they, uh, they go into the government um, and immediately start giving back. Um, right. So, and, and, and so, yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's a great, what, what I always tell folks is investing in these programs, uh, be it through No One Left Behind or whatever other charity you choose that supports SIVs is you're, you're making an investment that, with a good ROI for the United States. And then, you know, where we always end a lot of these conversations, not that I'm saying we're ending here, but you know, our talking points are A, what we're doing with, for our Afghan SIVs and getting them to the United States, it does fulfill a moral obligation. I mean, um, we passed a law in 2009 saying that if you if you serve as an interpreter alongside American forces, you're going to have the opportunity to apply for this program, have a decision made expeditiously, and if you're found qualified, you can come to the United States and, and have a new life here. And to date, we have not been particularly great for all the reasons we already discussed and fulfilling that obligation. So, you know, now is really, particularly for the Afghans, the last best hope that we have to even begin to fulfill that moral obligation. And then uh, as what oftentimes is the secondary conversation, but I think is still very important is the national security imperative, Mm -hmm. because this is a conversation, particularly when you look at how if we were to abandon our Afghan allies, there are SIVs and other vulnerable Afghans who serve alongside us and just pull everyone out and, and leave Afghanistan and, and watch them all get slaughtered. That sends a really, a, a very real message to other folks that might think about helping the United States, might think about partnering with us. And that's not being lost because if you look at our global competitors like Russia and China, like even other folks in the region, other extremists groups even they say well you know if you work with the united states at the end of the day they're going to cut and run and leave you so that right there is going to have uh both an immediate an immediate impact on our alliances but also in the long term i mean the united states is a global power we operate all around the world and if uh, if the word of the united states doesn't mean as much that then reduces the options and really threatens our national security absolutely um, especially, you know, when the imagery is already, you know, so uh, compelling uh, and we're already in a situation where uh, this is, you know, kind of a, we're hitting a humanitarian crisis that's, you know, going to define the decade, uh, I think at the very least, uh, but, you know, has the potential to define the United States for the, for the, you know, for the future. Um, I, I would agree. It's a, you know, it's a national security imperative. Um you know, people need to understand that this is the the image of our country is at stake here, um, and you know, it's not just the image; it's the it's the values on which we're founded, um, and the values upon which we still, I think, are the bedrocks of of what we believe we can be. And 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 you know, even though we feel like we lose you know footing on that every once in a while, it's still the foundation of what we believe we are and what we can be. Um, and I think we need to keep that in mind too. 
Um, but in, 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 you know, speaking to that as well, you know, the folks that we're talking about, the, the allies that we have, these are folks that get it, you know, they, they get freedom. Um, they felt it they've seen the impact of, of what our presence did have for a, a long time. And they also know what they're losing, you know, that the, the Taliban have, have come and, and taken so much ground. Um, and, and I think that's another part of these images that people should take to heart is these folks that are trying to get out, they get it. They, they understand the value of freedom. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I think that's the great thing about what y'all are putting together, what, what you're trying to organize and, um, and, and you know, just praying and, and that, that it, can, it can be followed through with. I'm absolutely greatly appreciated. Yeah, and I'll just re, uh, reemphasize what you were saying. I mean, every to to a individual, every SIV I've spoken to and worked with, uh, be it from Iraq or Afghanistan. I mean, they what they wanted for their home country initially was what we have in the United States. They fully recognize that you know, the United States is not perfect, but yeah. we do truly believe in the values that we espouse, and we we always strive to be better. Now, unfortunately, in the case of Afghanistan, those dreams aren't going to be realized right now just because of how the circumstances on the ground have played out. That said, they absolutely believe in those values just as much as any American here in the United States. And absolutely. therefore, that's why at No One Left Behind, we feel that not only should we fulfill our moral obligation when we made this agreement with these folks, um, but it's also the right thing to do to give them that opportunity to come here and to truly live those values that we claim to espouse and that they truly believe in. Right. Absolutely. So I, I know you've got, you've got a lot you've got to do. Um, I want to let you get back to it, but just before, um, I know there's a lot of organizations, a lot of stuff that, that people can get involved in. Uh, we've got a, you know, a mutual friend, uh, Jimmy early who's, who's trying to get uh, his, his guy out too. And yep. uh, we've got multiple friends uh, who are trying to do the same thing, but those people that aren't actively involved, that don't have that personal stake, but they want to help. Uh, we've talked about, I've shown the donate page, uh, the website. What are some other things that people can do to help? Yes. So uh, what we always say is call your Congress people, your senators, your representatives, mm -hmm. let them know that you care about this, that this is a matter that's important to you for all the reasons we've discussed, the moral obligation and the national security impacts. Um, you know, I was on a presser with a number of Congress people yesterday where they were imploring the Biden administration to take more decisive and, and expeditious uh, steps. So, yeah, so Congress is, a, is an avenue. As I mentioned, uh, you know, if, if folks aren't able to donate money, they can donate, it, but they can donate time. You know, there's obviously no one left behind. We have our, our ambassadors all across the country in almost every single major city or, or somewhere nearby where we could help or we could put their, uh, their offers of help to use. Um, right. But also take a look. I mean, if, if you search online, there's um, plenty of resettlement agencies and other organizations that are generally involved in the refugee resettlement program. But of course, right now with SIVs getting a lot of attention, but that most of the major resettlement agencies are, are focused on that. Yeah. Um, and really just, 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 keep the, the message out there in social media. Um, because frankly, I got it like right now, the news is filled with the fall of Afghanistan and all the horrific things that the Taliban are doing, the, the reaper or the, uh, the revenge killings, chopping off heads, hunting down anyone that ever helped the United States or the NATO partners. But unfortunately the news cycle being what it is, you know, they'll, they'll, there's always something else, be it you know, terrible or 
earthquakes in Haiti that have killed thousands of people Mm -hmm. or whatever the next scandal, political scandal might be that will take attention off of this. So the only way that, and it's twofold, um, on the one hand, keeping the attention on it will also keep emphasis on evacuation efforts, like the ones that no one left behind is undertaking. But we also think and we hope that uh, continued attention on the matter might also prove or might force the Taliban to temper some of their activities. I mean, if you recall the Taliban of the bad old days in between 1996 and 2001, I mean, they would do mass public executions in the stadiums in all the major cities. Well, I don't necessarily, I don't know that it will have that effect, but our hope is that if international attention remains on what they're doing in the country, it will at least force them to consider or potentially limit some of the, the excesses of their brutality. Right. And that's, uh, you know, I, I think that's a major concern. I, you know, my wife and I have talked about it in the last few days. That's been at the forefront of our mind is, you know, what, what's going to happen to, you know, women and children, um, you know, girls who've gotten their education, uh, women who've started professional careers in the last 20 years, um, you know, you know, men as well, who, uh, who've, who've helped out, not just the interpreters, but folks who work with contractors and, yep construction companies who've gone taken part in all these efforts to try and improve things. Um, and, you know, we, obviously we want to try and keep the Taliban from executing their full vision, uh, you know, anytime in the next, hopefully few weeks where enough people can make their way out. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and personally, I'm hopeful that, you know, and I've had this conversation with a number of particularly fellow veterans who served in, in, in Afghanistan that, you know, yes, we have lost the battle in the sense that the Taliban controls Kabul right now. But mm-hmm. nothing. one thing that we all know about Afghanistan is nothing is ever final. And right. for the last 20 years, we have you know, there's been a generation plus of Afghans that have been born and raised and lived in a much more free and inclusive and prosperous society. Right. And I don't think even the Taliban, for all of their brutality, will be able to completely extinguish that, particularly if you know, we keep international attention on this. And, and the future of Afghanistan isn't written. And right. I'd like to think that all of the work that we've done, the, the, the friends and family that we've lost in Afghanistan, um, it's not entirely in vain because the final chapter hasn't been written. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I just want to thank you so much. Um, you know, thanks for coming on this is the first video that uh, no shit there was has ever uh, made but i think it's a worthy one um and, oh greatly appreciate it Th- yeah. thanks for having me on and uh helping spread the word absolutely again thanks i'll talk to you later yep chat later bye thanks again for taking the time to listen if you want to watch the full video of the interview you can go look at the nstiw podcast facebook page if you'd like to support no one left behind you can go to no one left There you can donate and you can also share stories and advocacy in support of the program. I also encourage you to share stories about Afghanistan and the evacuation if possible. Keep the news spread. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to the show. If you liked it, please share with family and friends and please consider leaving a rating or even better, a review. It really does help. And while you're at it, hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to connect with the show, you can visit the website at nstiwpodcast.com. Follow on Twitter at nstiwpodcast1 
or on Instagram or Facebook at NSTIW Podcast, where you will receive additional notifications as well as additional content. If you're enjoying this podcast and would like to see it continue to dive into bigger and better stories, consider donating. Navigate to the website where you can read how the donation will be used and you can easily donate over PayPal. On a final note, if you or someone you know has a story worth telling, please submit a summary via a contact form on the website for consideration. Thanks again and get out there and do something worth telling about.